if you have a Bible, and I hope you do, the beauty of the gospel is that God has saved us. He's freed us from the power and the penalty of sin. He's put us in Christ, who's now our life. So we've got to together, surrender our lives, say, our lives are yours, and we're your servants. It's not a radical version of Christianity. This is biblical Christianity. It's what it means to be a follower of Christ. We don't call the shots. He calls the shots. The Radical Together Podcast, with teaching from David Platt. And welcome back to another episode of Radical Together. If you want to listen to the previous episodes, you can find those on iTunes or by going online to Radical.net. Today, David begins teaching a two-part message from Matthew chapters 6 and 7 in his message entitled, The Privilege of Prayer. If you have a Bible, and I hope you do, let me invite you to find Matthew chapter 6. So my goal in this podcast episode is to pick up where we left off. So we were we were thinking uh, in the last podcast episode about how our lives are a mist, or a vapor. We're, we are here one moment and gone the next. So how do we make the most of today? How do we live every day to love God with all our heart and soul and mind and strength? How do we live every day to grow in God? and godliness, to grow as disciples of Jesus. And as we do, to give our lives to making disciples of Jesus, to accomplishing the purpose that he's left us on the planet to accomplish this great commission. So great commandment, love God and with all that you have and love your neighbor as yourself. Great commission, make disciples of all nations. So how does this affect the way we live on a daily basis? How we can we maximize the moments we have every day to obey the great commandment and be a part of the fulfillment of the great commission? And what I want to do is just begin to unpack basics, just simple truths in scripture and practices that inform the way we daily grow as disciples of Jesus and give our lives to making disciples of Jesus. So I want to cover things that I think many times followers of Christ assume everybody knows and is on the same page uh, according to God's word on this or that. But if we're not careful, our assumptions can be really dangerous. I think, for example, about Bible study. I think many followers of Christ don't know how to study the Bible. And yet we assume, okay, everybody knows how to study the Bible. And yet so, so many followers of Christ, when we open up the word, we're not sure, okay, how do I read and really understand what God is saying in his word? So I want us to think together, how do we study the Bible? And in this particular episode, before we even get to Bible study, I want us to think together about prayer and to think about the beauty of what God has designed for us in prayer. How how he has designed prayer as a means by which we might grow in love for him on a moment by moment, day by day basis, from the beginning in the morning in a Psalm 5-3 kind of way when the psalmist cries, O Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. When the psalmist cries out in Psalm 63, 
Oh God, you're my God. Earnestly I seek you. My soul thirsts for you. My flesh faints for you. It's a dry and weary land where there is no water. I've seen you in the sanctuary. I've beheld your power and your glory. Your love is better than life. My lips will praise you. I'll bless you as long as I live. In your name I will lift up my hands. My soul is more satisfied in you than with the richest of foods. So how do we experience that kind of joy and communion with God on a daily basis in prayer. That's what I want us to to think about now and just to ask some fundamental questions about prayer in this podcast and the next one, starting with why do we pray? Which again, that's that's a question that seems so simple and I think we assume, okay, we know the answer to that, but I want us to look at what, what Jesus teaches about prayer and ask that question. Okay, why do we pray? So listen to what Jesus says. This is in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew chapter 6, verse 5, when he starts to speak to his disciples about prayer. He says, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do, for they think they'll be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, Jesus says your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. Now, this passage, the Lord's Prayer, Jesus' basic teaching on prayer, leads to questions about prayer. First and foremost, why do we pray? Why do we pray on a daily basis? And I want to give you three reasons why we pray on a daily basis, which is exactly what Jesus is saying. He's saying, give us today our daily bread. And this is something we are to continually do, continually pray like this. Why? One, we pray to express the depth of our need for God every single day. Every single day, we're approaching, this is Hebrews 4, 16, the throne of God with confidence that we might receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So the underlying conviction behind prayer is that we can do nothing without God. This is why we pray, because we need God. This is what Jesus told us in John 15, verse 5. I'm the vine, you're the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. So don't miss this. Prayer is the intersection between our complete inadequacy to live out the Christian life on our own and God's complete adequacy to give us all we need as his children so we might live in and through him. So in this sense, there is no activity 
in the entire Christian life that doesn't require a prayerful attitude, a prayerful dependence on God to do that which we can't do ourselves. We need God's grace. We need God's power. We need God's provision for everything we do every single day. So this is not even just a call to daily prayer. This is a call to continual, moment-by-moment, prayerful dependence on God, which, which means, follow this, this is huge, we even need His grace to pray. This is why in Luke chapter 11, verse 1, the disciples come to him and say, Lord, teach us to pray. And this is our confession every day in prayer. We need God to teach us to pray, to help us to pray. We need his grace to even know how to pray. So in prayer, we express the depth of our daily need for God. That's first foremost purpose. Second purpose of prayer is to explore the mystery of daily intimacy with God. So, one, to express the depth of our daily need for God. Second, to explore the mystery of daily intimacy with God. This is where I want to draw your attention. What Jesus says here in Matthew 6, when he says, When you pray, don't heap up empty words. For your Father in heaven knows what you need before you ask him. Jesus says he already knows what you need. God is not, apparently not up in heaven with a steno pad, writing down your requests and my requests, saying, oh man, I, didn't even, I haven't even thought about that. That's a good one. No, he already knows what we need. Which then causes some people to wonder, what's the point? What's the point of prayer? If God already knows what I need, then why do I say these things to him? Why do I tell him what I need if he already knows what I need? And as soon as we ask that question, we're on the verge of an incredible breakthrough in prayer. Because the heart of prayer is what happens when we're in a room alone with the Father in heaven and we realize there's intimacy to be found there with God. This is what I love about the picture we see of prayer in Exodus chapter 33 when when the Bible tells us Moses used to speak with God face to face as a man speaks with his friend. And just let me remind you the picture back there in Exodus 33. The Bible says that Moses would go out to the tent of meeting to meet with God. And when he went out to the tent, Exodus 33 verse 7 through 11 says all the people would rise up. Each would stand at his tent door and they would watch Moses until he'd gone into the tent. When Moses entered the tent, a pillar of cloud would descend and stand at the entrance of the tent and the Lord would speak with Moses. And when all the people saw the pillar of God standing at the entrance of the tent, all the people would rise up and worship each at his tent door. Thus the Lord used to speak to Moses face to face as a man speaks to his friend. And can you imagine that scene? Moses walking out to a tent of meeting. As soon as word gets around that he's going out there, you and everybody else in the camp of Israel, you come out and you stand at the front of your tent and you watch Moses walk past you into this tent where a cloud comes. As he walks into the tent, a cloud comes and rests over the tent. And all of Israel, you and Thousands and thousands of other people are standing in silent awe while you are watching a man in a tent meeting with God. So I picture that scene and then I realize what a privilege that you and I have. Like we don't have to watch somebody else go 
sit in a tent and meet with God. You and I have the privilege. Every one of us who's in Christ has the privilege of meeting with God on a daily basis. What what Old Testament saints could have only longed for, you and I can experience at any moment. And the beauty is we don't even have to go into a tent to do it. The beauty is we are the tent. The Holy Spirit dwells in us. You and I have the privilege of communion with God As a man speaking to his friend, Christ has made this possible for us. Hebrews 10, 19-22, we have confidence in the most holy places by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way that he's opened for us through the curtain, that is through his flesh, since we have a great high priest over the house of God. So let's draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith. So yes, 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 in your life, in my life, let's draw near to God. Let's experience intimacy with God. Let's remember, let's realize on an everyday basis that the most important thing in the world is not our family, not our husband or wife, not our children, it's not our job, it's not our finances, it's not our health, it's nothing, none of these things. The most important thing in the world is our personal relationship with God. And so Jesus says, He tells his disciples, set aside a time, go to a place, go into a room, close the door and pray. That one practice will utterly revolutionize your life, my life. Not just our prayer life, but our entire life. When we set aside a time, we go to a place and we pray. And Jesus says, you will receive your reward from the Father. This is Jesus saying, the Father has so much waiting for you and me when we come aside and spend time alone with Him in prayer. This is part of the purpose of prayer, to express our need for Him and to explore the mystery, the beauty of intimacy with Him. And then, So if I were to put a third purpose on prayer that we see in Scripture, we express the depth of our need for Him, we explore the mystery of intimacy with Him, and then third, we experience the power of being used by God. So the Bible is replete with promises from God in prayer. God has ordained prayer as a means by which we actually participate with Him and His purposes in the world. As we pray, we call out to God, He responds, He acts in response. Now, it's not that we're changing God's mind or changing God's plans. I don't want to change God's mind or change God's plans. How ridiculous would it be for me, or for you for that matter, with our finite knowledge and feeble wisdom to say to an infinite God with unfathomable wisdom, here's what I think's best, why don't you conform your will to mine? No, no, that's not the purpose of prayer. In, in prayer, we're trusting God. As we do, we're pouring out our hearts to Him. Psalm 50, verse 15, Call upon me in the day of trouble, and I will deliver you, and you shall glorify me. John 14, 13, Jesus says, Whatever you ask in my name, this will I do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. So as we come before God in prayer, we're asking Him for help in our lives. We're asking Him for to work in this way or that way. And as we cry out, He responds in a way that we get the help we're looking for and he gets the glory he deserves 
We'll get back to David's message in just a minute, but I want to take this opportunity to mention that David has written a new book titled Counterculture, a compassionate call to counterculture in a world of poverty, same-sex marriage, racism, sex slavery, immigration, abortion, persecution, orphans, and pornography. In his latest book, David draws heavily on scripture and compelling personal accounts from around the world to call readers to faithfully follow Christ in countercultural ways, ways that will prove both costly and rewarding for the contemporary church. Counterculture will be available on February 3rd, and you can learn more about counterculture by visiting the book website, counterculturebook.com. And for other free resources from David Platt, visit radical.net. There you can watch or listen to past sermons, read the Radical blog, or stay up to date on catalytic events like Secret Church. Here's David with the rest of today's message. You know, when you think about it, in its essence, the power of prayer is useless. And here's what I mean by that, so follow with me. I'm not trying to be heretical here. But in and of itself, prayer as an exercise is useless. All kinds of people in the world pray. Muslims pray, Hindus pray, Buddhists pray, animists of all types pray. Even Congress prays. Big deal. You look at First Kings 18, you see people praying and pleading to Baal. And the lesson is clear. If you're praying to a God who's not there, you should not expect an answer. So our goal is not just to be people of prayer. What matters most is the object of our prayer. And so the power of prayer in and of itself is useless, but the power of people who connect with Almighty God is unstoppable. That's what we see in 1 Kings 18. When Elijah steps up after the prophets of Baal have prayed for hours, he steps up, all he says is a few words, and fire comes raining down from heaven. And James concludes later in the New Testament, the prayer of a righteous man has great power as it's working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours. He prayed fervently, it might not rain. For three years and six months, it didn't rain. Then he prayed again and heaven gave rain and the earth bore its fruit. So the the purpose of prayer is to put ourselves in a position where we're crying out to the God of the universe to give us what we need to make his glory known on the earth, to work in this way or that way, to bring this together for good and his glory. And as we do that, we're participating with God in what he is doing in the world, which we'll talk about more in in a minute. But I just, if you think about, okay, why pray? crystallized into three reasons. We pray one and purpose, reason and purpose here. One, because we want to express the depth of our daily need for God. Two, because we want to explore the mystery of intimacy with God. And then third, we want we want to experience the power of being used by God. So in prayer, every day we're saying, we can do nothing without you. We want to experience intimacy with you. And we want to join with you, God, in what you're doing in the world. That's why we pray. Which then leads to the next question that we might ask about prayer. So who do we pray to? Who's the object of our prayers? And Jesus tells us very clearly, Matthew chapter 6, verse 9, that we pray to our Father in heaven. And there is so much that is summed up in those four words, our Father in heaven. What I, what I want to do is I want to I pause here in Matthew 6 and reference Luke chapter 11, which is where 
Jesus uh, teaches the Lord's Prayer in the Gospel of Luke. But right after he, he shares about the Lord's Prayer, then he tells him a parable, tells his disciples a parable. And I want to read it to you. It's Luke chapter 11, verse 5 through 13, because it helps us understand who our Father in heaven is and why we pray to him and what happens when we pray to him. So Jesus in Luke chapter 11, after teaching the Lord's Prayer, said to his disciples, which of you who has a friend will go to him at midnight and say to him, friend, lend me three loaves for a friend of mine has arrived on a journey and I have nothing set before him. And he will answer from within, do not bother me. The door is now shut and my children are with me in bed. I cannot get up and give you anything. I tell you, though he will not get up and give him anything because he is his friend, yet because of his impudence, he will rise and give him whatever he needs. And I tell you, ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. For everyone who asks receives, and the one who seeks finds, and to the one who knocks it will be opened. For what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask Him? Oh, I love this story. Get the picture. First century Palestine, food not quite as readily available as it is today, so no late night Taco Bells. There's a battle for bread every day. You, you bake enough bread each day to meet that day's needs. So a guy shows up at his buddy's house at midnight, and he's hungry. Now, in first century Palestine, hospitality was huge. So this buddy has a dilemma. One option, he can be a poor host and not get this guy any food. His second option is to go try to find some bread from somebody else. So it's either be a poor host or a poor neighbor. So he takes what's behind door number two. His neighbor is already fast asleep, enjoying his dreams. Not only asleep, but everybody in his house is asleep. Houses in that day, one room affairs, which meant that everybody in the family slept in, you got it, one room. So usually the family would sleep in the same bed or on the same mat. So you can just imagine you get kid one, kid two, kid three down for bed. Then you and your wife bolt the door closed and you lay down next to each other. There's nobody getting up to go to the bathroom in the middle of the night without causing a major commotion in this scene. So everything's quiet while this Nice guy is asleep on the mat with his wife and kids. All of a sudden, a knock comes at the door. And the guy on the outside says, Friend? Which is a good way to start when you're waking up somebody at midnight for a piece of bread. Because this friendship thing's walking a tight line at this point. And when the dad wakes up, you can only imagine he starts looking around and little eyes on the mat next to him starting popping popping open. It's one thing to wake up dad. It's a whole other ball game when you're waking up kids in the middle of the night. So this friend thing is seriously in question. So the guy inside's not too happy right now. And he says in the most polite way possible, don't bother me. I'm not getting up. I'm not giving you a thing. Then Jesus says that even though the guy won't get up because he's a friend, because that's in question, he will get up because the guy is impudent, which means bold. The word literally means shameless. He keeps asking until the dad gets out of bed and gives him some bread. Now, here's the interesting thing about parables. We hear them and we think, okay, somebody in this parable is me and somebody in this parable is God. So the disciples are thinking, I think we're like the guy who's knocking on the door. Okay, and who's God then? The grumpy old guy inside yelling, don't bother me? 
That's kind of weird. So what does Luke 11 teach us about prayer? If you want something from God, you just keep banging on the door, and eventually he'll get up and do something for you, not because he loves you, because you've just bothered him to death. So let's pray. Is that the point of the story? No. The point of the story all comes back to this boldness, this shamelessness. Some, some say it means annoyingly relentless. And we'll only understand the parable rightly when we look at it through the lens of the friend in need. So Jesus tells a story from the start, from this guy's perspective. We've got to see the whole story through his perspective. We've got to resist the temptation to try to compare God and the friend inside. Just put yourself in the guy's shoes on the outside who's knocking. Because Jesus phrases the whole thing as a question. He says, imagine if you were bold enough, shameless enough, to go to your friend at midnight just to ask him for a piece of bread. In other words, imagine somebody with enough nerve to knock on his friend's door at midnight just for a piece of bread. I think the picture Jesus is painting us of a guy who's, in a sense, rude. One of those guys who just doesn't know which social lines to cross and which ones not to. The guy who doesn't seem to get the hint. You don't wake up your buddy and his entire family at midnight unless you got a really good reason. But this guy doesn't know that. He's shameless. So here it is. He's so socially out of it that he actually thinks it's no big deal to wake his friend up in the middle of the night. He won't mind. I need some bread. I know he's got it. He won't mind me bothering him and his entire family in the middle of the night. And I know he'll get up and get some for me. No problem. And that, Jesus says, is how we should approach God. Think about it. In prayer, we're approaching God, our Father, our Father in heaven, who has all authority in heaven and on earth. Psalm 24, the earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. He has all authority over all things. He has the supply. He he has all that we need. This is what I love about Psalm 50, when, when God says to his people, Every beast of the forest is mine, the cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills and all the moves in the field is mine. If I were hungry, sisters, people, I would not tell you, for the world and its fullness are mine. He has all the supply and he has all the sovereignty over it. In other words, God has the authority to do with everything, whatever he wants. So this is the God we're praying to, our Father in heaven, who has all supply and all sovereignty over all things. He has all authority, second to God our Father, who is always approachable. Think about the parable. This guy knew his friend was able to meet his need, and he was shameless enough to think that his friend wouldn't mind him coming at such an inopportune time. And it's in this picture of this shameless guy that we realize that the God of the universe, who has all the supply and all the sovereignty in heaven and on earth, has actually invited you and me to come to him any day at any time. He's not just invited us. He's told us to. Psalm 27. You have said, O Lord, seek my face. My heart says to your face, Lord, do I seek. He's told us to come to him. This story in Luke 11 is a perfect illustration of what it means for you and I to come to God as Father. It's a perfect illustration of us going to God and saying, I know it's kind of inappropriate to interrupt you because you're running a universe and you got all these things going on, but I just need you to sit down and listen to me and look at me and don't be distracted because I've got some things I need to share. Doesn't that seem just over the top? But it isn't. 
the picture here is of a shameless nerve, a boldness, that it seems almost ludicrous for you and I to be going in the presence of the God of the universe, but Jesus is saying, be as invasive as you want, be shameless. I think Jesus is teaching here that God delights in revealing himself to those who are bold enough to bother him. And I hesitate to use that word, but I, think, I believe it's the point of this text. We usually think of bother in a negative connotation. Nobody wants to be a bother. But think about it this way with me. Uh, when I'm really busy, maybe in my life, or maybe I'm traveling, and I, I call home, and my precious wife, Heather, has something heavy on her heart, and she says to me, you know, David, I don't, I don't want to bother you with this. What am I going to say? I'm going to say Heather, I want to be bothered by the things that are heavy on your heart. I delight in being the one that she bothers with, with the problems and struggles and heartaches in her life. It would bother me as her husband if she didn't come to me. I think this is the point. God has given you and me as his children full access to his presence And he has said, as our Father in heaven, I want to be bothered by the things that are heavy on your heart, by the struggles that you're walking through. God delights in being the one that we bother with these things. Brothers and sisters, let this soak in. The sovereign God of the universe is a loving Father who is approachable to you as his child, and he has invited you to unburden your heart shamelessly before him. Jesus is definitively not saying here, don't bother the Father with the trifling things in your life. Instead, he's saying the exact opposite. He's saying that God invites us to bother him anytime. It's never too early. It's never too late. He invites us to bother him in everything. We sometimes think that the things we're praying for may not be important enough to warrant mention in our time with God. But look at this story. This is not an emergency here. This isn't a neighbor saying, my wife's having a baby or or she's dying or my kid broke his leg or we've got a robber in the house. He's in the middle of the night. He says, I want some biscuits. I'm talking about presumptuous. I mean, would the guy die if he just waited until breakfast? Tell him to go to bed. He'll forget he's hungry when he falls asleep, right? But this is the point. Brothers and sisters, there's nothing too small. This is why 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, Pray without ceasing in all things, because our simplest prayers are not insignificant to God. What may seem like a small thing, To you and me, considering the greatness of God, the vastness of his kingdom, his eternal purposes, is not at all a small thing. There are no minor matters in prayer. That's what I love about Nehemiah 6, verse 9. When Nehemiah just prays, Lord, strengthen my hands. He says, my hands are hurting. There's nothing too small. There's nothing too great. Isn't this wonderful? We can pray about mustard seeds and mountains. We can pray about about cancer as well as colds. It's not about, this is the point, it's not ultimately about the size of our prayers, but the maintenance of a relationship, which is why the Bible never cautions us about the magnitude of our prayers. There's nothing too small, there's nothing too great, nothing is impossible with him. Philippians 4, don't be anxious then about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition, present requests to God. Everything. So we pray to God our Father, who has all authority, who's always approachable, and who is ever active. 
So this guy in the story in Luke 11 thought, my friend is able, I know he'll have some bread, he's approachable, surely he won't mind me knocking on his door, and he's active, he'll get up and give me some. Now, here's the clear contrast we need to see with this story. Contrary to the friend inside the house, God is not asleep. When we pray, we're not arousing a sleeping giant. We don't have to wake God up. We, we know he is the everlasting God, Isaiah 40, verse 28, creator of the ends of the earth who does not grow faint or weary. His understanding is unsearchable. He gives power to the faint and to him who has no might, he increases strength. God is not asleep and he has invited you and I to come to him and to renew our strength that we might mount up with wings like eagles and run and not be weary and walk and not be faint. Isn't this wonderful? What God has designed for us in prayer, this this practice by which we come to Him, the one who has all authority in heaven and on earth, who is ever approachable and who is active and who stands ready to give us everything we need. And not just to us, but others. Isn't that another part of the beauty of this story in Luke chapter 11? Because this story is primarily about asking somebody for a need that will help another person. So it's, it's a picture, when it comes to prayer, not just a personal petition, but of intercession, of asking for something on behalf of someone else. To realize that God is at work in our lives and wants to help us. And he's, work in the lives of, he's at work in the lives of others around us and wants to help them. And he's chosen to involve you and me in his work in other lives through prayer on their behalf. This is an amazing thought. That you and I have the joy of participating in the plan and purposes of God. Not just in our lives, but in others' lives around us. Who we pray for. Who we intercede for. How how we come before God boldly. We shamelessly. And we say, I can't open my friend's eyes to the light of Christ. Would you do that? Would you open their eyes to the light of Christ? I can't give this person what they're walking through, the strength they need. So would you do it, God? I can't give this person what they need in this situation. So would you do it? You provide. And we boldly, shamelessly stand in the gap on their behalf. Again, nothing too small, nothing too great. We take our place in prayer because God has given us the privilege and intercession of participating in His work in others' lives to pray for the poor like this, to pray for the lost like this, to pray for the hurting like this. We've we've got such a gift in prayer. So we come before our Father in heaven, knowing that he's invited us, commanded us to do so, and knowing that as we pray, our prayers to our God are never, ever, ever in vain. This is why Jesus says, Fallen from this story, ask and it will be given you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Everyone who asks receives. The one who seeks finds. The one who knocks, it will be opened. God is a good Father who stands ready to give us and others what we need. He's a good Father. Which of you, Jesus says, if son asks for bread, which of you fathers will give him a stone? If he asks for fish, will give him a serpent. You then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will your Father who is in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Now, we'll, we'll talk more about this in the next podcast episode, but suffice to say, right now for today, you and I 
have been invited by the God of the universe to come aside alone with him and to pray, to confess the depth of our need for him, to explore the mystery and beauty of intimacy with him, and to experience the power of being used by him, the God of the universe, who is our Father in heaven, who has all authority, who is ever approachable, ever active. Let's take full advantage of this privilege called prayer. Thank you for joining us today for Radical Together. For additional free resources, including those available in other languages, visit Radical.net slash resources. And if you'd like to know more about the International Mission Board, go to imb.org. Join us next time for more teaching from David right here on the Radical Together podcast.